once again, just so glad that you are here this morning. Um, this is a celebration. Uh, I love this. We got like a little mosh pit going on down here. Um, it is really fun to have uh, all the families in here together. Uh, if you are a, a Kid Town student in here this morning, we are so glad that you are with us this morning. You are welcome in whatever we call this, big church. Uh, if you are an adult with children with you this morning, I just want to put you at ease. I have four of my own. I have heard and seen it all. One time, my two-year-old, when I was preaching, got up on this side and just walked across the whole church waving at me as he went. Like, we're, we're just going to have fun together this morning, all right? Uh, fall Festival, I think, is off to a great start. Agree? Disagree? That was uh, kind of weak, but I think you, I think you agree. Um, and for those of you who are here this morning and you have been tracking with us this fall through our series in Revelation, particularly if you're in a discipleship group and you studied the passage this week and you're sitting here right now and you're like, I wonder how he's going to handle this text with all of these families in here this morning. I'm not. <laughs> there, like Revelation 17 is maybe one of the top three or four chapters in the whole Bible that probably shouldn't be done in a family-friendly setting. So we're just gonna hit pause on Revelation. If you're just dying to know, you know what's going on there, you can listen to one of the podcasts from one of the other congregations this morning uh, because we are not gonna dive into that uh, kind of for your sake, but mostly for my sake. So uh, we are gonna go to a much, <laughs> much gentler passage this morning. And that is in Mark chapter 10, uh, starting in verse 46. Mark 10, verse 46. This is what it says. I'll give you like 10 seconds to get there. I know I just kind of sprung that on you. It says, and they came to Jericho. That's Jesus and his disciples. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent, but he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, pray with me for just one moment. God, we thank you for this day and for this time and for this opportunity for us to gather here uh, in your house and worship you. I pray that you would now quiet our hearts to receive what you have for us this morning. Uh, help us to learn from and be changed by uh, your living and active word. Uh, we thank you for the joy it is to be together as families this morning, and, and we pray for a, a really fun celebration this afternoon. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, so I needed your help this morning. I needed your help um, settling a very, very challenging question um, that we need to try and come to an answer this morning, and I need you all to help me do it. Uh, I need you to help me decide who is the greatest Disney character of all time. Yeah, you don't have to raise your hands. Like you can, I had someone in the first service say, do, do Star Wars movies count? And I was like, no, of course not. Who is the greatest, come on, let me know. Who is the greatest Disney character? 
Yeah. Okay. 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 What is, what is becoming clear in this moment is that was a bad idea. And we are not going to come to a consensus, I don't think, in this moment of who the all-time best Disney character is. And so here's what's funny about how the way this works. I have a microphone and I have an opinion. And so I am going to tell you who the greatest Disney character of all time is. So here it is. This is a story about a young uh, homeless child, an orphan, who has no family and whose future looks very hopeless and without um, really any hope. You know which one I'm talking about? Yeah. It's about 30 Disney movies at this, yeah, at this point, okay? So this young homeless orphan with no hope and no seeming future lives alone with, with one friend, living on the streets, stealing bread to survive. His friend happens to be a monkey. And this character's name is? But that's not who I think is the greatest Disney character. So the evil Jafar finds out that Aladdin is the one who can do, only one who can do for him what he needs. And so he takes Aladdin and his friend, monkey friend Abu, sends them to a cave in the desert known as the Cave of you got, oh, someone's coming with me this morning. That's what we like to hear. And, and Aladdin and Abu descend into the cave of wonders. And Jafar tells them, all I want from the cave is the lamp. And they find the lamp and they secure the lamp. But on the way out, little greedy Abu wants to steal a jewel to take with him. And when he does that, what happens? The cave of wonders closes and it traps Aladdin and Abu inside. But by a chance of pure luck... You're getting ahead of me. By a chance of pure luck, they rub the lamp, and out from the lamp comes the greatest Disney character of all time. Now, I recognize, I recognize that is a debatable statement, and don't come at me right now. We can talk later in the parking lot, all right? But the genie of the lamp was a icon of pop culture when I was growing up, voiced by Robin Williams supreme cosmic power in an itty-bitty living space. Come on, come on, come on. Don't be too cool. Don't be too cool for school. And what Abu and Aladdin find out really soon is that this is a genie in the truest sense of the word. He has supreme cosmic power to grant them wishes, but they only get three of them, and one of them is you can't ask for more wishes. So all of a sudden, what seemed really hopeless doesn't seem so hopeless because they are now in the presence of someone who can do for them something that they cannot do for themselves. And I think the reason that the genie was so, um, like, so impressive to me when I was a kid growing up is because I had a lot of things I wanted when I was growing up. First of all, did someone say same? <laughs> Bless you. I knew, I knew the kids would talk back to me more than the parents. Uh, top of the list was a Nintendo Entertainment System. And I actually got it. Uh, a BMX bike with pegs. Never, never got that. And here's what's funny. I'm 41 today, and I still have a ton of things that I want. And I suspect I'm not the only person in this room that has a lot of things on their wish list a lot of things that I would want, a lot of things that I think I need, a lot of things that I desire. Uh, when we, we came here from California, 
Uh, I was pumping gas one day in California, and one of the greatest things I've ever experienced happened to me. I got out of my car to go around to the pump, and there was a, a dad pumping gas at the pump across from me, and there, the windows of the car were down, but I couldn't see who was in the car. And as I got out of the car, uh, this dad was very worked up. Anyone's dad ever get worked up? Not in my house, but in other houses it might happen. And this is, as I got out of the car, this is what he was saying. He was saying, into the car, all I ever hear is I want, I want, I want. He goes, you know what I want? I want to wake up just one morning without another face two inches from mine telling me it's time to get up. That's what I want. And then he goes, I'm going to pay. And he starts to walk toward the gas station. And again, I can't see in the car. This little voice from in the car goes, I want a Coke. It was amazing, and it was also so convicting because I was like, that little kid is me. Because my whole life is just a repetition of I want, I want, I want, I want, I want. And, and my guess is I'm not the only one in this room this morning who has some things that I want. And here's the thing. Our wants are so powerful. For many of us, they are literally the driving factor that allows us to continue to move through life. The hope and expectation that one day my hopes and my wants and my wishes might actually be fulfilled for many people is actually what gets us out of bed in the morning and allows us to continue to work through life. And as we come to the story that I just read in Mark chapter 10, we see the story of another guy who is just like us, who had some things that he wanted, and he had a run-in with someone who had supreme cosmic power to give him what he wanted. And the thing that he asks for, I think is really instructive for us as we think about what it means to relate to Jesus. So here we come to this story. Jesus and his disciples are heading to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. It's the biggest festival of the year in ancient Israel. In this moment, there are literally hundreds of thousands of Jewish people from all over the nation of Israel who are streaming towards Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover festival. If you are coming in from the east, which for you would be out here, the last city before you start the ascent up the mountain to the city of Jerusalem is Jericho. Jericho would have had billboards on the highway that say last gas before Jerusalem and last restrooms, last clean restrooms before Jerusalem. And as they go through Jericho and come out on the other side, there is a blind beggar named Bartimaeus who is sitting by the side of the road. And he hears that Jesus of Nazareth is passing him by. And so what does he begin to do? He starts to yell, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Have you ever been in a big crowd and someone starts to yell who's not supposed to be yelling? It's awkward. It's, it's uncomfortable. And it was just as much so back then as it is now. And so what do the people around him start to do? They're like, hey, man, knock it off. Like, we don't want... We don't want this to be the impression this guy has of our, of our city, okay? So just be quiet and leave him alone and let him go through. And what does Bartimaeus do? He just starts yelling all the louder. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And what does Jesus do? He hears him and he stops. And what does he tell the people around, around him? Call him. And so they're like, hey, Jesus is calling you. And what does the story tell us Bartimaeus did? He sprung up and he made a beeline for Jesus. Now, I don't know if he had someone guiding him and helping him do that. I don't know if he was like a blind Derrick Henry going through the defensive line and into the secondary to get to Jesus, knocking people out of his way. But he makes a beeline for Jesus. 
And when he gets to Jesus, what does Jesus ask him? He asks him what I think is maybe the most profound question that we could ever consider. He asks him, what do you want me to do for you? It is a good question. Thank you. And I think because Jesus asked Bartimaeus this question in Scripture, I think he's asking all of us the same question this morning as well. What do you want me to do for you? And I think the way Bartimaeus answers is um, really important for us. Because here's the deal. What does Bartimaeus ask for? He wants, to, he wants to have his sight back, which on the surface seems pretty obvious. Like if he's blind, that would make sense that you, you are standing in front of Jesus. You would ask for him to give you your sight back. But here's the deal. When I read this story, I'm like, I feel like he came in a little too low. Because if Jesus is who he, we say he is, if Jesus is who we believe he is, if he is literally the embodiment of supreme cosmic power in a medium-sized living space, if he is the author of creation, the all-sovereign, the all-knowing, the all-powerful one, the one who speaks a word and it happens, if I have my one shot in front of Jesus and he's asking me, what do you want me to do for you? I think I'm shooting for the moon, right? Bartimaeus doesn't. He doesn't say, give me a wife and a kids and a nice home on the outskirts of Jericho and enough money in the bank so that I can be comfortable until I die and pass them on to my kids. He doesn't say, um, give me revenge on all the people who have treated me like garbage since I've been sitting here on the side of the road as a blind beggar. What does he say? He simply says, let me have my sight back. Why does he ask that? Well, I think we see why in the last verse. Verse 42, and Jesus said to him, after he gave him his sight, he said, go your way, your faith has made you well. Does Bartimaeus go his way? Does he go back into the village of Jericho and start making a nice life for himself and settle in and show all those people who treated him like garbage that he's not the same anymore? Immediately he recovered his sight, and then what did he do? He followed him on the way. He followed Jesus on the way. Uh, If we were to read the whole gospel of Mark together, what we would see is that discipleship, which is a fancy word that means following Jesus, is a really important theme in this book. And one of the ways Mark paints the picture of following Jesus is the idea of traveling on a road. It comes up over and over again in the gospel of Mark. And so where is Bartimaeus when we meet him at the beginning of the story? Is he on the road? No, he's sitting by the side of the road. He has an encounter with Jesus. Jesus gives him his sight back. And what does he do? He gets on the road with Jesus and follows him to Jerusalem. Why is he named? Why does does Mark not just say a, a blind beggar was sitting on the side of the road? He says a blind beggar named Bartimaeus. Most scholars believe it's because the early church knew who he was. Because Mark, Mark's audience knew who Bartimaeus was because he was part of their community, because he had become a follower of Jesus. So here it is. When Jesus asked Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? His answer, if I can summarize it, was this. Give me what I need to follow you. And that's it. Give me what I need to follow you. And that is it. All he asked for was what he needed to follow and be with Jesus. Spent the last four years, well, uh, we left California to drive to Nashville a year ago today. Very, uh, very iconic, very special day. I spent four years prior to that living in California. And if you drive around in California, particularly in the Bay Area where we lived, the number one uh, thing you see on the road and on highways is Teslas. It, we used to call it Teslaville. 
Uh, my daughter reminded me after the first service, one day she went to the dentist and she counted 100 Teslas between our house and the dentist. And it wasn't a three-hour drive. It just, they're everywhere. The second thing you see most in California on the highways and on the roads after Teslas are lawn service trucks. They are everywhere. It is a huge industry in California. And here's what is amazing about them. I love, I love organization and order. I love a well-put-together space with storage in it. And it is remarkable how they outfit these lawn service trucks, these pickups, and maybe they have a little trailer going behind them with everything you could possibly need to work on a lawn. They got lawn mowers, they got weed whackers, they got uh, buckets, they got um, you know, shears and everything, and they got the most important piece of lawn service equipment, like blowers. They use those for everything in California. And, and they are just like decked out, everything in its place. It is remarkable to see how clean and organized they are. But here's the thing. What I never saw on those trucks was a meat smoker. I never saw a guitar and some amps. I never saw computers or like hard drives or anything like that. I never saw wardrobes full of clothes. Why? Because they don't need those things to do their job. They only had the things with them that they needed to do their job. They only brought what they needed. And I would, I would love for us to just pause for two seconds this morning and consider, if Jesus were to ask me, what do you want me to do for you? What would your answer be? Because we're all bringing in a ton of hopes and dreams and wants and desires for our life. But the upshot of this passage and what I think is just so critical for us to understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus is that when Jesus comes to us and says, what do you want me to do for you? We really only need one thing, and that is to be with him. And so my hope and prayer is that we might be able to enter into a relationship with God and be able to say to him, I have a lot of wants, I have a lot of wishes, I have a lot of desires, but what I really need for you to do for me, Jesus, is to just give me what it is that I need to be with you. Because here's the story. We are all like Bartimaeus. We are all blind and sick in our own way. The story of this book the story of the God of this book is this. There is a good, kind, loving, all-powerful, all-knowing God. He created the world and everything in it, including you and me. And when he made it, he looked at it and he said, this is very good. But for reasons that we will never understand this side of eternity, and we may never understand in eternity, this thing called sin came into God's good creation and it really messed it up. Sin is like a virus. It's like a sickness, and it infected everything. It infected creation, and it infected me, and it infected you. Sin is anything that is contrary to who God is. Sin is the reason that we have sadness. It's the reason we have sickness. It's the reason that, that we have death in this world. And God doesn't want anything to do with that, and he's contrary to it. And when sin entered the world, it broke the relationship that we were supposed to have with God. He can't coexist with sin. And God saw us in that state. And instead of leaving us like that, he loved us so much, he did something about it. He sent his son, Jesus, 2,000 years ago, who was also God. Jesus was born as a man, and he is the only person in all of history who lived on this earth and did not have sin. 
And yet he was the one who at the end of his time on this earth took the penalty for sin upon himself. The only one who did not deserve a consequence for sin took the consequence of sin upon himself and he died on a cross in our place. But did he stay dead? Not a trick question. Three days later, in the power of God's spirit, early Sunday morning, Jesus Christ rose from the dead and he walked out of the tomb. And the promise, to God, promise from God to all of us is that everyone who confesses with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believes in their heart that God raised him from the dead, they will be saved. So the, the really amazing news this morning is that God loves you so much that he has done something about the virus or the infection of sin that we have. He sent his son Jesus as the antidote. And for everyone who can say, I can't save myself, I need Jesus to do it for me, the promise is that God will re- regenerate you in this life and we will spend eternity forever in his presence where there will be no sickness, no sadness, no evil, and no, no death. What we need most is to be with him. And my guess is there's someone in here this morning who is like, that sounds great, but you don't know who I am. I'm going to have to clean myself up a little bit before I come to a God like that. And I just want to say in no uncertain terms, you will never be more loved by God than you are in this very moment. God's love is so deep for you that he could not love you anymore. It does not matter who you are, where you come from, what you have done. The beautiful message of the good news of Jesus Christ is that God sees you as you are, he loves you as you are, he saves you as you are, but he does not leave you as you are. He's asking every one of us this morning, what do you want me to do for you? And my hope and prayer is that our answer might be, just give me what I need to be with you. Let's pray. God, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time. Thank you for this amazing celebration today of you and your goodness to us and of the community that you have brought together here at Midtown Fellowship Granny White. I pray um, that we would have a ton of fun spending time with each other this afternoon. We thank you for the good news that you have given us, that though uh, we are in sin and separated from you, uh, you love us so much that you have done something about it and that we can be saved. I pray that you would um, remind us of the joy of that this morning. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.